welcome to our podcast, Be Real. I'm Caitlin Beavers, and we're with... I'm Kira Bennett. And we've got the special guest today with Stu Barrow. Hey. Hello, hello, hello. Yeah. Um, so, welcome onto the podcast. Thank you very much for having me. A little bit nervous, but <laughs> no, you looking forward to, to it. Yeah. You're a fluent speaker. We've, uh, we've been a part of that plenty of times. <laughs> <laughs> so, Kira will do a brief introduction on, on you. Oh, lovely. Okay, so I did look at your LinkedIn um, and I found that previously you were the player performance manager of Cast Tigers, Bradford Bulls, Warrington Wolves, um, coach of England Academy and the Youth, and then progressed on to the Women and Girls National Talent Manager, um, become head of England Pathways and recently appointed England Women's Head Coach. Woo! Wow. <laughs> That seems like we've done a lot though, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, so yeah. Why do you have time for yourself? <laughs> well, working in Clubland, never had any time for myself. So actually, this is quite a nice change of pace now, working in the, in the female game. Still a lot of hours, but not equivalent to Clubland at the moment, so it's good. Yeah, no, that makes sense. OK, so that leads me on to my first question of how and why did you get into rugby league? Right, so... Grew up in Wigan. Everybody in Wigan growing up in the 80s played rugby league. Mm -hmm. um, my dad played all through his childhood and in adulthood with uh, Wigan St. Pat's. So I went down to Wigan St. Pat's, played there for a bit, uh, ended up at Goulburn. Uh, played rugby, played for the Wigan Town teams uh, all the way through. Got signed for Wigan at 16, but uh, smashed my arm up really bad. Never played. Uh, so drifted away from rugby league for a bit then. Went back to university, did a sports science degree. Suddenly wanted to play rugby league again, so set up a rugby league team in Luton, which is unheard of because there's no rugby league down south. <laughs> uh, and from there then got a job back into the professional game. What age did you start playing at? Started playing at under sevens. Oh, right, so the yeah, very, very yeah, lowest age. Yeah, all the way through. What has been, would you say, the pinnacle of your coaching career so far? Uh, I've been to a grand final and I've been to Wembley with Warrington on the coaching staff there. But I think for me the pinnacle is when I see people are running around in the NRL and running around in Super League now that I've either signed at 16 or coached at Academy. Yeah. Uh, I'm bumping into those lads and still chatting about the journey and knowing I probably played a very, very, very small part about them achieving what they wanted to achieve. But, but still, nevertheless, I was part of their journey. That gives me the most reward. Yeah. I'm sure they'll they'll back you on that though as well. Yeah. Uh, like we say all the time, don't we? That the coaching staff is yeah. just a massive part of what we aim to do, because especially the one to ones parts, they make a massive difference. Yeah, I think so, and I think a lot of it is as well is just mentoring and just supporting players. They've obviously got the talent because that's why they're signed, or that's why you play the game at the highest level, and it's just making sure that you you aid and support them all the way through to so they can fulfil all their potential. Obviously you've coached men and then now women, what's the transition been like for you in terms of that? Challenging, yeah. difficult, really interesting as well at the start. So done 16, 17 years in the men's game and then the first port of call with it was with the DICE, yeah. which is the Diploma in Sporting Excellence, which is our 16 to 18 year olds programme. And I remember turning up for my first ever session to deliver there and I uh, thought I'd start with grip relay games just to get everyone laughing <laughs> and uh, nobody could pick the ball up because they were size fives. And I hadn't even considered that, you know, and, and then doing the session as well, I thought, this is just totally wrong. I've pitched it wrong. I've got it all wrong. And I was driving home in the car and I was beating myself up. But I got home and I thought, I really like this because it's made me have to think again about coaching. 
So I went away and studied, been to other sports, looked at how they coach the female side of the game and hopefully I've took quite a lot of that on and I'm still learning, still developing all the time, but uh, yeah, really enjoying it. From then, in, in that description, you explained the DICE programme. Do you want to talk more in depth about that? Yeah, so in the male game, there's a, there's a pathway. You, you aim for scholarship, 15s, 16s, and then you aim to try and get signed at 16 and become an academy player and then try and earn a full-time contract or a reserve team contract. In the women's, you play community up to under 16s, then go straight into senior women. Now, that might be England senior women or it might be Super League or community. So I felt there was a need to put something in to give people aspirations and, and, and work at their own age groups and own levels. So the 16 to 18 programme, the DICE, is uh, a dual career. So they do rugby league and they do some how to be an athlete work alongside that as well in partnership with Loughborough College. So it's a two year course. Once you're on it, you stay there for two years. And from that, we've got lots of girls who've graduated, Kira being one of them, uh, who are now playing regular Super League and also playing either for Knights or for England seniors as well. And I predict that probably by the 28 standalone World Cup, I should imagine 50 to 60% of the England team would have probably come through either Dice or Knights at that stage. So that's the aim. See, like, I, I'm absolutely gutted that that weren't around. I yeah. think I must have marginally just missed it. Yeah. But after hearing like Caitlin Casey and yourself talking about it, they, they say basically learning about nutrition, how to look after yourself, the media presence and all that kind of thing. Like you said, it's build. It's not just building an athlete, it's building a person. Yeah, and that's really, really important to us as well, that if some people leave that DICE programme and may never even play rugby again, that might be them done with rugby. But if we send them out with a qualification, but also the experiences of working within a group, working within a team and, and learning about themselves as people as well, that's, that's a big win as well. Yeah, and also like from when I was on, you can already tell the development in the game, the development of the talent coming out of that. And I think obviously when we was going, it was only like one day's, weren't it? And now I talked to CC and she's like on it for a week, is it? Like on these camps. So it just shows the progress of that. And I think for me, that was really pivotal in my development because probably at the time I was fluctuating between playing as a 16 year old in the Super League. But then actually that let me come back to like being in my own age. So I think that was really valuable for my skill set, definitely. No, oh, it's great to hear it. And yeah, it has, DICE has developed and evolved as we've gone along and mm -hmm. now we do it as residential camps yeah. three, four times a year. And that again is getting them used to either being in a night camp if we play someone or as you know, the senior squad where we go into camps before international. So if some of those girls do come through and play in the seniors, it won't catch them by surprise because they're already used to being in residential situations. Mm -hmm. That's what we found this weekend, didn't we? Being yeah. at the Challenge Cup, we were only away for for me and Kira. Obviously, being used to camps now, we're like it's only a day away. Yeah. But for for some of the girls that aren't used to that environment, they're like, "What we're going to do for tea?" They're, like, they're flapping a bit because yeah. it's something that it's just completely um, territory that that haven't been on, and I can see why people are starting to get a bit nervous around the, around the occasion. Yeah, and they're nervous when they come to DICE for the first time as well because there's 30 girls arriving and they don't know a lot of each yeah. other and it's like, how do we do this? But they soon relax and, and I think now they look forward to coming to DICE residentials and like I say, if that transfers into the senior squad then we can go away into camps with the Ashes in 25 and the World Cup in 26 and some of that worry about how people are going to settle has gone because we're used to the athletes being in it. Uh, I was just going to say, so in terms of the DICE programme, 
and everything else that, that you build within the development and the foundation of the England programme, do you think that you'll miss being a part of, well, being a part of the, the development and being more in, in the main team? Yeah, a little. Uh, so what I've done is I've brought in a dice manager now, uh, and, and he manages the dice, but I still oversee it, so I'm at every dice camp. Uh, take a little bit of a backward step now, and probably not on the field as much with them, but stood around and looking and observing the talented players. Uh, and then with the Knights, I'm heavily still involved with the Knights, so I'm still head of the pathways just with linking it up to the senior squad so I get that message all the way down from top to bottom. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So rugby league is full of stereotypes and things. Um, obviously, you being a man um, and coaching females, what is it? What is that like? How do you deal with women? Um, obviously, you're not used to it. How does that? How do you approach that? No, it's a great question, and uh, again, I'm still learning on it. But uh, I think, I think we just treat each other like rugby players, yeah. you know. And I know there is subtle differences, and and the way I deliver my feedback might be different in the female game than I do in the male game. But I also like that challenge by the females because like in the men's games, it used to be, right, we're going to do this and it'll be, how do you want me to do it? Yeah. In the female game, it's, why do you want me to do that? And that's great, so it gets me thinking. So in England now, we, we show a little bit of video about why we're doing what we're doing before we go out on the field. Because yeah. I found in my first sessions, I'd go out on the field <laughs> and set a drill up and people would go, well, why? And we'd only touch the ball three times in an hour because we'd be explaining the why. So we do that before we go out. And I think, I think the, the male side of the game's got a lot to learn from that about the why because they only know the how. Yeah. Uh, so I, I've really enjoyed that side of it as well. But yeah, it's, it's different emotionally dealing with, with female athletes, you know, and understanding uh, each individual uh, and managing that. But uh, I think I'm, I'm, I've clued up pretty much on it and I think I'm, I'm getting there. So yeah. Like you said, it's from and my brother were in uh, the male kind of environments, and from the comparisons that we used to talk about, it was very cutthroat in the men's. It's very straight, straight up. Yeah. Whereas I don't think that you get the same effect out of the women if you approached it the same. Um, there's definitely different ways to approach it, but it still doesn't mean that you can't get your point across. And I think some people would appreciate like dead hard honesty. And then some people would prefer a bit of a sugar coat, but still get the same point across. And I think that's about knowing your athletes mm. as well, you know. So you can you can see what one of the players in the senior women's team, and you go, well, actually, you need to be told outright that this is. And knowing they'll respond really well to that, show those some clips and go, that's just not good enough. And then there's others we have to go a different way about that and explain how could they have done it better, why would you want to do it better, and get an answer. And I think that's the same in the male game as well. Though I think as long as you know your athletes and you can build that relationship with them. There shouldn't be too many issues along the way. So typically for you, what does a, an ideal week look like in terms of looking at the players? What, what are you doing during the week? So Sunday, always out watching a game. Yeah. Uh, always get out to a game on a Sunday. Uh, and then Monday, watch all the other games okay. uh, via video, make notes of England players, make notes of people on the pathway and make notes of people who are not on the pathway but I think should be yeah. or want to keep an eye on. Um, and then lots of meetings during the week um, and then out to a training session as well in an evening with one of the Super League clubs, some community development stuff, lots of dice work, lots of nights work as well. So really, really busy, to be honest, yeah, yeah. but not as busy as man's club land. So, <laughs> so my wife actually sees me a few evenings a week where she never used to. So, <laughs> yeah, when, it, when, uh, when I worked in the mail game, it used to be, uh, I'll see you next October. Yeah. And then we go for our two-week holiday before we started pre-season <laughs> again. But now she, she likes having me at home, so it's good, yeah. yeah. 
I bet she enjoys making your tea. <laughs> well, I won't say that. I won't say that. No. We just buy pies. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow. So you've been in charge of one international fixture now. Yeah. How did you find? How did you find the France game? I found it really, really enjoyable. The camp. Yeah. We only went to camp the day before, but it was my first time of running a camp situation, and I think it was really relaxed. I think we had meetings when we needed to have meetings, and I think we got the messages across, and and I think. The, the key themes we had from that transpired into the game as well and I think the players really did what was asked of them in that in that game and um, I thought we were really disciplined in the game as well and by discipline I mean we stuck to the processes we kept repeating what worked for us and we didn't go away from that and that's really positive for us and uh, yeah really really enjoyed it yeah it's nice when you win yeah obviously so something that we talked a lot about as a squad and as I think a medical group is the support that would be provided for women if they decided to have families after the World Cup. And obviously now with how stacked the next few years are, um, we were talking about the support the other day and how crucial it's going to be, but how brilliant it's going to be. It's not, it's not something that anybody's ever been familiar to, and I think it'll be a great step. Yeah, and, and we've got our next England session next Saturday, and... and our doctor, Gemma, is at that session to have another chat to you about about supporting you as you go forward because obviously the dates change from 25 to 26 for the World Cup and that will affect some people's decisions with family planning, etc. Mm -hmm. So, like any employment, we're there to support you all through that uh, and work out what's best for you, best for your partners, etc. And what you want to do, we'll be there to support. And obviously, um, it's being released that we've got a good couple of years ahead of us. Um, What's going to be the process of that then, in terms of the next couple of years? So the squad currently will be getting prepared. There'll be a couple of additions to the squad as we go along through the rest of this year. We'll be preparing for the international uh, at the back end of this year against Wales at Headingley. Uh, and then after that, 24 starts afresh. We'll probably have a mid-season international again next year. And then 25 will be preparation for the Ashes. Uh, that 25 squad that go to Australia will be the ones we deem to be in contention for the 26 World Cup. So we'll be taking people to prepare for the World Cup. And obviously that'll change, some personnel change between 25 and 26. But the aim is that we, we know who we're looking at to take away, get used to going to Australia, get used to playing against Australia and New Zealand over there in 25, so that when we go in 26, we feel fully prepared to do the best. Yeah, and it's building those kind of relationships yeah. and partnerships and friendships, isn't it? Being around people that you play against each week, it, it can be hard to get to know them properly and just being thrown in a camp, it can be overwhelming. But I think with the, the England sessions that we've had, it's become more frequent and we're all getting to know each other a bit more yeah. and the camps are getting... Uh, there's there's more of a, a positive vibe around camps yeah. and I think that that's really exciting whilst going into a really big couple of years. Yeah, yeah really exciting and on the back of that then 28 we're going to have our own standalone World Cup. Yeah. So it's just the explosion of the women's games just getting bigger and bigger and we're enjoying the, the journey with it and uh, yeah it's something to really look forward to and the RFL and the international body to, to commit to the, get the Ashes back up and running again really excites me. I grew exciting. up on the Ashes so... Yeah. To, to go out there and challenge ourselves against the best in the world. They mm. are the best in the world, let's make no bones about it. But we want to go and see how we compete against them and take some learnings from the back end of 25, whatever we learn when we're out there. 
and put it into place for 26, it gives us something real positive to work on. Yeah, and obviously to make a good team you need a good team behind it. Um, did you have choice of who you have with you now? Um, what was the like reasoning with the people you, you went with? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm really, really fortunate. I'm, the, I'm just the front of house, really, of a really, really uh, excellent uh, set of staff. And um, yeah, my first decision, the most important people, I got taught this when I was a coach, was in the men's game, was the, the biggest recruitment is your assistant coaches. Uh, so I wanted, the first thing I wanted to do was make sure I got my assistant coaches right. So obviously, Deck had been there through the World Cup. I really liked the way Deck. Uh, coaches and delivers. Also, I know he'll challenge me. Uh, he, he won't just be a yes man. And then, uh, having been around the game for a long time, um, I really like the way Lois coaches as well. Uh, and I'd had lots of conversations with Lois, and I thought, yep, yeah, she's she's my type of person. So it was really important I got them two on board. And next to that, you've got Sean and Neil from the from the sports science side of it. Who, again, excellent forward thinkers in the field. Again, challenge me. Uh, tell me what they want, tell me how they want it, and, and I don't always give in to them, but uh, we have good debates about it, which is really good. Uh, and the medical staff, I think, are top-notch. Yeah, I think that that's something that I've noticed more when coming into the England squad, to, to first start with the, the coaching staff and the background staff is, is just getting bigger and bigger. And that's something that we've said at Leeds, isn't it? Like, the, we're getting more SNCs, uh, more physios and the doctors being more hands-on and I think that's probably with how the game's progressing we need that kind of care and we need that kind of support and it's on, it's no different to the men so I think that's that's why it's warranted. I totally agree uh, it's, it's a performance environment and we're trying to create an elite performance environment so I need all that staff to bring that to to, to the party really so yeah and, and at Clubland like you say it's happening now uh, across Women's Super League, that staff are exploding and, and bringing the right people into the environment. Well, even with you saying that you come to club sessions, Matt, the club phys uh, the England physio started coming round to to each club to see uh, see people after they played at the weekend. Yeah. Like that's massive for us to be able to well for girls that aren't part of the EPU currently yeah. to to get noticed. It's easier yeah. to get noticed in the training environment yeah. and see what they're like and you see more behind the scenes what they're like as a person and with Matt it, it's it's easier because I don't, don't know about anybody else's physios but our physios kind of got his um, his hands full at the moment mm -hmm. so it's nice to yeah. it's nice to have him take a bit of work off and you can work more personally. Yeah and that's it and, and England aren't trying to come and take over at club yeah. sessions we're just there to support and be around it and and like you say I, you know if I, if I think someone's playing really well in the games I've been and watched live and and on video before I bring them into the pathway whether that be knights or the seniors I go and watch them train mm -hmm. uh, and see how they are in their environment and you know so there's a new player coming into our England senior session next Saturday uh, I've been and watched the train last week after seeing some of her performances and I liked what she did at training and that confirmed so yeah. I feel like I've got eyes out there all the time and I know the person as best as I can know them before I bring them into the environment. So I think obviously what we need to talk about is the the historic event what occurred at the weekend, um, Wembley, um, biggest stadium anyone's, especially any females ever played on. Um, such a monumental ground, um, great experience for a lot of people. How do you think that was good? I was in the Royal Box, so it was brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> I was guest, I was, a, I was in a suit and tie in the Royal Box with a free glass of fizz. So, oh, yeah, so uh, no, it, I just think it was absolutely outstanding. If you think, 
uh, of the hard work, Tom Brindle, who works at the RFL, has put it behind the scenes and, you know, he, he put a picture on his social media of where it was in 2017 to where it is now. And even when I first got involved in 220 or 219, I didn't think we'd be at this stage yeah. this quickly. Uh, I think we put on a good show. I think the, the game was a credit to, to all of us uh, and what it did create. And, and like I say, I was in the Wembley suite. There was a lot of sponsors, a lot of neutral people who'd never seen a female game before, mm -hmm. who all watched it and it created noise. Yeah. And I think that's our job at the moment is to create noise with the, with the amount of eyes on the Lionesses at the moment and the Red Roses in Rugby Union and the netball who've just done really well. Our job is to say we're here as well. And, and I think you can't do that in any other bigger stage than the National Stadium Wembley. So yeah. it created a lot of noise and that's what it's all about. Yeah, I think the behind the scenes, you mentioned Tom Brindle there and the, the RFL as, as a whole, I think, recently have been massively, massively pushing us and giving us Wembley and more coverage and that the media presence is so much bigger and I think that it, the game's developing and I'm glad that people are, are noticing and they're getting more engaged and they're wanting to get more involved. Um, I've the week leading up to the final, everything I was saying in interviews, well, I didn't think it'd be my pipeline, and I'm a really young player, so I'm actually I'm so glad that I managed to do that. But not just that, like people, Jody said that she didn't think yeah. it'd be in hers, and we I don't think we did it just for us. Like there's yeah. so many people, Andrew Dobson were on um, commentary, and it's for people that didn't manage to do yeah. that as well that were that, that were kind of shouting up for, aren't we? Yeah, absolutely. Like, the pioneers that have come before us, like, that was basically for them because they've led us to this point. And I think we, you've got to have gratitude and you've got to be... You've got to just appreciate everything that's come before us. And I think that was such a great event to do that and dedicate that to them. And it also just creates such a great atmosphere, such a great opportunity to inspire role models, be role models for young girls, young boys, you know, the amount of people who want your signature nowadays or a photo of you, like, it's actually incredible and I just think, yeah, like, what we just got to keep it going, get some momentum, but, like, how do we do that, how do we equal the pack across the whole Super League is, like, obviously the next conversations, you know what I mean, like, what would you say in terms of that? I think that's the biggest challenge we face at the moment, yeah. we, we have three maybe stroke four really really strong teams and a lot of good work going on at the other clubs who are not in that four at the moment yeah. but uh, i think because of the what the profile you've give the game now there's lots more young girls playing the game mm -hmm. so eventually when they come through they'll have to go to all the other different clubs as well it won't be if you're a really good player on the fringe of leeds city center that you want to go to leeds because they're a top team yeah. you'll look and you'll go well they're under 19s is full of players the first team's full of players i'll be better off going here because i'll get to play more yeah. and i think that that took some time in the male side of the game when scholarships came in people actually waited until they were saturated and then went to other clubs and that evened it out and I think we'll get to that stage in the next few years. I think we're already seeing that Wigan, Wigan have gone from not competing last year to full of youngsters this year who are now pushing them to the next level. And they, they've got another bunch of youngsters under them as well ready to come. So it's just about getting almost the volume of players into each club so that they push through. Uh, and, and what we did at the weekend at Wembley only, only increases that because now as you're sat there watching it as a, somebody who plays under 14s, under 15s, you go, well, actually, I'm only three, four years away from playing at Wembley if I carry on, yeah. and that's exciting. So as you've talked about there, Wigan are such a strong developed side in terms of 
so many young girls yeah. have come through and they've really made a massive difference this season. I think the academy systems that people are bringing in, like I, we were talking just before this started, I went to go watch Huddersfield and Feb 19s. You went to go watch York and Wigan yeah. 19s and it, it's getting so much bigger and that's the stepping stone that we need. There were only, when, when I started, I think there were only about two, three academies and now most clubs have Yeah, and, and I think it's, it's where the game needs to go and, and the community clubs do a great job. But when we get to under-16s, you, you girls were playing open age, yeah. whether it be for Leeds or a community club, you were straight into open age. And I think it's important we, like the pathway, in, in the performance pathway, we also have a game pathway as well, where there is something that a 16-year-old, 17-year-old female can play in something of her own age group, whether that be under-18s, under-19s. And that's a feeder then to your senior squad as well. So uh, we've started, we experimented with it last year. We've got better with it this year. Next year, it's going to be compulsory for the eight in the league that they have an academy. Uh, so we're getting there. It's obviously by bringing that extra team into your club, though, it's financially, it costs money as well. Mm. So you've got to get buses to away games, extra kit, training facilities, etc. So we know we're putting an extra pressure on the clubs. But if we're serious about taking the game to the next level, I think an academy system is vital. Could you see a reserve system coming into into the picture? Uh, long term, yeah. yeah. But at the moment, I think it's more important we just get that academy up and running and then your seniors on top of that. So if, if we keep... I, realistically, if we keep the academy under 19s, I think by the time you're 19, you, your senior team will know whether they want you in their system or whether you go to another club. Yeah. And that's that's the challenge of the game as well, is if someone comes to Leeds and plays in the academy till 19 and then they're not quite what Leeds are looking for in their seniors, that we don't let that person drift away from the game. Yeah. We either keep them in the Super League or they go back to the community. Well, that's what they find with the, the lads' programmes a lot. Uh, after talking about Ivor, that uh, people lads don't want to go back to the club because they feel they feel embarrassed the fact that they haven't made it. But if we make it a system that they can go to another Super League club or a Championship, doesn't mean that they have to stop playing. And I think that that's really what we need because we're not as privileged as the men game in terms of the participation rates. We will eventually, but we can't be affording to lose those players. Yeah, it's helpful, isn't it? Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. So, fun round. Yeah. Fun round? Fun round. I thought this had all been fun. Yeah, I can relax a bit now, yeah. can I? Yeah, now, now like, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, we've decided to incorporate a little something at the end of each podcast. Right. And we've just got one, a bit, a bit of a question for you. <laughs> I'll let Kira lead. Okay, so if you could have dinner with anyone, three people, past or present, who would it be and why? Oh, tough question, tough <laughs> question. Three people, past or present. Roger Bannister. Okay. Because he did the four-minute mile. Yeah. And that was unheard of, and it was he broke boundaries that nobody thought was possible. Mm. So I'd like to talk to him about his mentality and how he thought, well, that is possible when everyone else said it wasn't. Yeah. Mm. So that one. Hmm. Uh, <laughs> Neil Armstrong. Okay. To see if he actually went on. If he actually went on, <laughs> or was he in the studio? <laughs> I, I feel I need to know that yeah, in my life. I think I need to know uh, that. Was that flag real? Because it didn't. You know, <laughs> I need to know. So Neil Armstrong. 
I feel like that's something you'll lose sleep over as well. Yeah, I think it does. Is it? So, <laughs> you know, whenever I see these new space programs, I'm thinking, is it lies still? Wife's going, is that true? Why aren't you asleep yet? Did he actually go to the moon? Did he stand on a moon? I look at the moon sometimes from the bedroom window because we don't have curtains. I'm thinking, I'm not sure. Dark, yeah. I'm thinking, I'm not sure. Though, <laughs> so that's the three. Uh, so then the third one. Did he have to be, can he be alive still? Yeah. yeah. Uh, I thought you were going to come out with someone straight away. Kenny Dalgleish, because he was my hero when I was a youngster growing up. So I supported Wigan Rugby and I supported Liverpool Football Club and uh, Kenny Dalgleish was an inspiration. And I liked the way he transitioned from player to coach at the same mm -hmm. club and I thought it was really difficult. So yeah, Kenny Dalgleish. I should have probably gone deeper than this. No! It's all about straight off the bat. Yeah. That's why we didn't ask you before. Yeah, yeah. But I have got one question just off the top of my head. Yeah. What position were you? You, you won't believe it now because the pies have got me. <laughs> saying, I think full back. Exactly that. <laughs> wow. I, know I was you. a full back, yeah. And then when I, when I stopped because of my arm, and then six, seven years later, I came back to play. I was a little bit bigger then because I'd been to university and had lots to drink <laughs> and eat. So uh, I then started to play back row. Ah. So, yeah, seen it from the backs and the forwards. Hmm. Which yeah. one did you prefer? The backs, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. Oh. All the glory. All the glory. Yeah, we just... <laughs> you make us yeah. look good. All the glory. <laughs> yeah. So... Thank you very much for being part of our podcast. No, thank you for having me. It was a pretty painless, really, because knowing you two, I was a little bit worried about this. Really? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. very professional. Yeah. And can we just say, um, just off the record, Stu has been flapping about this yeah. for weeks. Um, and I told you you didn't have anything yeah. to worry no, about. No, no. That's good, thank you very no, much. No, it's okay. What a legend. And um See you at training next Saturday. Yeah, yeah, ready for a green <laughs> session. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So thank you for watching or listening. Um uh, this is our third yeah. session of Be Real and we hope to catch you next time. <laughs>